Good morning. Good morning. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we gather for worship on this World Communion Sunday, a day in which we recognize that we're all in this together, that we all are God's people. And I want to thank Meredith. She reminded me that we usually put these flags up. Uh, I forgot about it this week. So thank you, Meredith, for uh, putting up the flags to recognize that it's not just us who are followers of Christ. It's every person, no matter your race, no matter your creed, no matter your nationality. And that's what today is so important to remember, that we're all welcomed at the table of the Lord. You, me, all of us. So I'm so glad that you are with us to worship God on this day of World Communion Sunday. to feast on your mercy and goodness. Nourish us with words of peace that we may go into your world with love and compassion for all people. Now let us all stand as we are able to sing together, Make Us One. Let your love flow. 
Was someone cutting onions during that? Or was that just me? <laughs> it's good to have the choir back. Yes. And just want to remind you, there's seats up there. You know, I think they're going to start, they're going to practice on Wednesdays at 6. So there's seats up there. You know, and if they would let me sing during the call to worship today, they'll let anybody sing. <laughs> and so there's, you know, volunteer, you know, no requirements to actually be able to sing, right? Awesome. As we continue worship, let us stand and hear the, our gospel reading for this morning that comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 23 to 32. Hear these words. <clears throat> when Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? I tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over amongst themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he'll ask us, why didn't we believe John? But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they finally responded, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the, told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained this meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will enter into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love, for your grace, and for your joy all around us. And Lord, as we enter into this time of deep discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to your voice speaking to us. Turn out the distraction of the day in our lives so that we may hear from you. Lord, may I become less so that you may be more in this moment. And may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You could cut the tension with a knife. The tension was rising, and it had been rising for some time. You could feel it, the pressure all around the city of Jerusalem, especially on that Monday morning. But yet, things had been getting a little tense for some time now because of this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus from Galilee whom so many had started to walk with. 
tensions were rising. Tensions were rising between Jesus and the religious leaders, uh, the chief priests, the elders, and the, the scribes, all of whom were wondering, who is this Jesus and why is he doing the things that he's doing? And so they had confronted him at several points along the way while he was in Galilee doing his mission and ministry. Questioned Jesus about why he was welcoming fishermen and tax collectors and others that didn't seem to know what it meant to really be the church or to be the faith into his discipleship group. They questioned him about things like healing on the Sabbath and taking bread or clean, not clean, being worried about cleaning the outside of his hands. They had been confronting Jesus for some time, but yet tensions were high as Jesus had entered the city on this Passover week. A celebration that was intended to remember the story of redemption. The story of redemption for the people of Israel as they remembered that God had redeemed them from slavery. But a story of anticipation as well, that as God had redeemed them once before, so too would God do it again as they felt oppression from the Roman Empire. This celebration was so much, not so much about looking to the past as it was about looking to the future of the day when God's promises would fully be realized. Tensions were high. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives and riding on the back of a donkey and entering into the east gate, a sign of the Messiah coming into the holy city. For the Messiah was always expected to come through that east gate. Tensions were rising as Jesus' followers were heard chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Words that look to this Jesus as if he was the coming promise of the son of David. Tensions were rising even more as Jesus had entered into the holy temple and made his way to the outer courts. The outer courts that were often reserved for Gentiles and women to worship, but yet in the temple had been reserved for the buying and purchasing of things for worship and the selling of wares, removing the aspect of those on the outside to be able to worship. Jesus, seeing all this, raises the tension himself by flipping over the tables in the sanctuary and cleaning out the house and saying, it will be once again a house of prayer. Reminding people that the church and the temple is about prayer and worship, not so much about business and policy. Tensions were rising as when Jesus left the temple to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to rest that night, when he saw a fig tree and cursed it as a sign of Jerusalem's rejection of him as the coming one. Tensions were high. 
And yet there is Jesus sitting on the temple steps that Monday morning. It is exactly what rabbis and leaders did when they were in Jerusalem. If you came into the city to worship or to celebrate the sacraments, you would gather people around you and teach about what it is that God calls us to do. And you would do so along the temple steps and the teaching steps. So there was Jesus sitting at the temple steps, preaching and, and teaching and encouraging people to see what God calls us to be about, to see who he truly is as the Messiah, the Christ. And here comes the religious leaders, the chief priests, the one in ones in charge of the proper worship, the elders, those who would have been responsible for the temple. They see Jesus and they get upset. They get a little anxious and a little bit angry. And you can almost imagine that inside they're thinking, who does he think he is coming back around here after everything he did in the temple yesterday? Who does he think he is? Does he not know who we are around here? We run this place, not him. So a group of them come together. And they go to Jesus with a question. What gives you the authority to do these things? What gives you the authority to flip tables over in the temple? What gives you the authority to curse fig trees in the temple? Who do you think you are? Now, it would have been right and justified for the chief priests and the elders to ask that question of Jesus because they were responsible for the proper decorum and the proper place of worship in the temple. They would have likely have seen Jesus as causing a disruption. And with their authority coming from God from back in the days of Moses to provide for the temple worship and the sacraments of God, they saw Jesus as disrupting that authority. And so they felt justified in going to Jesus and basically saying, who do you think you are around here? But yet there's also another part that goes into this question about authority, and that is to trap Jesus. They've already made their mind up, don't get me wrong, about what they think is going on. They're just ready to trap Jesus. And they trap Jesus into a question that can have no answer, really, without really getting Jesus into what they would think some hot water. Because the question that they're asking about who gives you the authority is where do you get the blessings to do the work of God? What gives you that right to say you are doing the work of God? Authority is a common theme in the Gospel of Matthew, and it often reflects upon one's faith in responding to it. How we live in response to God and being that authority comes in faithful living to God. For the chief priests and the elders and these religious leaders, the same ones who would eventually become part of the tribunal that would try Jesus, for them, authority came by their very status their very identity, their very power in wearing their robes and their 
tassels. Their very identity as being chosen and set apart as the people of God. The membership and the guidance of such. And so they go to Jesus thinking they had the answer right. But knowing that if Jesus said an answer that a claim to be of God, that they would trap him with saying that he wasn't of God, or if he said that it was his own doing, they would trap him for violating their own accepted authority among the people. It was a trap intended to question Jesus in front of others. But Jesus responds with a question of himself. Now, most of us would get upset if someone asks us a question after we have already asked them a question. Such as when we ask someone, what time is the, this gathering is going to be when we're going to have the potluck? And we say, well, what are you going to bring? I just want to know what time it is so I know when to be hungry. I'm always hungry. We don't like it when someone asks a question when we've already asked one. But in that day, that was part of the dialogue. That was part of the, the common practice among rabbis to follow up a question with another question. They were actually good journalists. And so Jesus asked them a question that was intended for them to be responsive to the very question that they had asked Jesus himself. Themselves. And that question is, what about John the Baptist? Where did his authority come from to baptize? Did it come from heaven or did it come from earth? Now the trap is on the religious leaders. If they had said it came from heaven, then it's like, why didn't you believe them? Because the religious leaders refused to believe John. At this point, John has already baptized people. He's already baptized Jesus to identify Jesus as the Messiah who has come to save his people. And he's already been beheaded by Herod. He was well accepted among the people as a prophet. And so if the religious leaders had said his authority came from heaven, then why didn't you believe he was a prophet? But if he said it came from earth that he had no authority to do the things that he did, then the people would come after the religious leaders for going against John. It's a question that they can't answer without themselves falling into the very trap that they pushed Jesus in. So the response is a non-denial denial. We don't know. Now, I can almost imagine that they give you that three-year-old sarcasm with that answer of, we don't know. Yeah, you know who broke the lamp. We don't know. It gets Jesus off from answering the question, but he answers it anyways through a parable. And he gives the parable of these two sons, which anytime you see two people put up against each other in Scripture, you know one is going to be seen as the favored one and one is going to be seen as the one to be seen as a challenge for us to reflect upon. And so the oldest son is requested by his dad to go work in the vineyard. Now, if you remember from last week, we said the vineyard is often a sign or a reference point to the people of God. 
an imagery that goes all the way back to Isaiah's, God, Isaiah's prophecies in the work of Isaiah. That the vineyard is a reference to God's people. And so this first son is asked by his dad, hey, I got work to do. We've got a lot of fruit to get out of the vineyard. I need you to come work for me. Well, if we put it in today's time, the kid is probably playing on his tablet. He's probably on his video games and he's not paying any attention to what his dad says. And he's like, uh-uh, I don't wanna. I just wanna watch my video games. I wanna watch my TV. I don't wanna do it. Eventually he goes. Eventually the son changes his mind and he goes out into the field. The second son is asked by the father. Now, we don't know if the father knows that the first son has already gone out to work, or maybe he needs more workers. Or maybe he wants both the older son and the younger son to work together. We don't know. But he goes to the older son and said, well, you go out in the field and work. Sure, Dad, whatever you say. You know I'll do whatever you want me to do. Time passes. The son never shows up. Never works in the vineyard. Now, Jesus goes up to the leaders and says, well, which one was faithful? It's not hard for religious leaders to answer this question. It was the first one. Even though they said no at first, they still went out and worked the vineyard. And in doing that, and in answering the question correctly, they incriminated themselves. Because the parable was about faithful response to God. And so Jesus turns it back to them. You know all the things that we are called to do. You know all the things. You have been saying you will follow where God is leading you, but yet you won't do it. But these tax collectors, these prostitutes, the very people that you think are the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth, the people you think have no place in the temple, they might have said no at first, but they're saying yes now. They've changed their heart and mind to God, and they're willing to not just have faith, but put it into action. You're living on status and privilege and thinking that's good enough. The tax collectors and the prostitutes recognize who God is and they're willing to live that faith out and they are ones who will receive the blessing. Now, can you imagine the religious leaders hearing that? Could you imagine being told that you're not living the faith out? That you had become dependent upon just the way things have always been. The status of merely being a follower. The way things have always been. And it's easy for us so often, and I've heard it throughout my 43 years in life, that every time we talk about the religious leaders and the elites of Scripture, we often respond to it as, go Jesus, get them with the left hook, get them with the right hook. Right? Get those Pharisees, get those hypocrites. 
But yet we forget the second part of that. And that is how easy it is for us to fall into the trap of the Pharisees, the religious leaders that Jesus was confronting in our parable today. How easy it is for us to fall on to our status, to fall on to our identity marker as Christian, our status symbols as being members, our status symbols of how much we give or what we do, and not truly live out the faith beyond the walls of Sunday morning between the hours of 10.45 and 12 p.m., it's easy for us to say we get it right and they get it wrong. It's a lot harder for us to ask the hard questions posed to us in this parable of when are we like the religious leaders? When are we like the religious elites? When are we like those who confront Jesus and are more worried about our status and our power and our prestige, and our comforts than following Christ. Perhaps this parable forces us to ask some questions of ourselves. When have we gotten upset in the church simply because something didn't go our way? When have we gotten upset because we didn't like something that was done or a vote that didn't go our way or we've believed that something might happen three years from now that might upset us. When have we held it over to someone else that our membership means that we get certain privileges and blessings? When have we accept, expected people to pull out the red carpet for us in society simply because we showed up for church on Sunday morning and someone else didn't. When do we expect people to give us extra opinions or extra power simply for how much we've put in the offering plate a little bit earlier? How often do we expect to be heard simply because of who we are? if I'm honest with ourselves, or if we are honest with ourselves, I guarantee you our toes have been stepped on in some of those questions. I've got about three of them that have been stepped on. It's easy for us as followers of Christ to fall in on our own status as Christians, but yet never truly live out the faith. because we've become accustomed to just being part of a club and being part of a movement. How easy it is for us to say, go get those religious leaders, but don't come after us. I don't think Jesus was confronting the religious leaders to push them away. I think Jesus confronted the religious leaders in this passage in order for them to see where they had fallen short and to come alongside 
the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the fishermen, and others who were seeking to live for God. And I think that's the same for us today. Though we may live sometimes like the religious leaders that wanted all our own way, may we have faith in God to not just say it is about us, to not just say it's about what I want, or to use our faith as a stepping stool or a privilege marker. But let us have faith that moves mountains. Let us have faith that puts into practice our words and has a faith that moves in love to where we treat every person as a child of God and a person of worth. Where we walk alongside the poor and the oppressed. Where we seek to live out our faith-based principles, not just on Sunday mornings or when it's convenient for us, but every day. Let us not be religious leaders. Let us be Christ followers who not just say we love Jesus, but that we live out the love in faith and hope for all. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love and for your grace and hope. And Lord, as we seek to do your will, help us to not just say that we love you, but to truly put out our faith in action. Through Christ we pray. Amen.